Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host and daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, as well as the Compassionate Friends. And we have an amazing person on the show today. I'm very excited about this show because Dr. Vander Kork, and his first name is Bessel. Can I call you Bessel? has written a book that I think is really, I find it really interesting and very revolutionary, and it's called The Body Keeps Score. And uh, let me tell you something first about uh, Bessel. He's a psychiatrist and founder and medical director of the Trauma Center in Boston, Massachusetts, and is a professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Boston University Medical Center. And he's also a world leader in dealing with traumatic stress. And as I said, his latest book is The Body Keeps Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in Healing of Trauma. Well, Bessel, I am so interested in this book and excited about it. I'm a clinical nurse specialist in psychiatry, and Heidi's a psychologist in Manhattan. And we've been talking about this book and about the fact that I know that sudden death of a child or a spouse is a little more traumatic over time, like molestation or whatever. But some of the tips, some of the things you say are amazing. Can you talk about what happens to the brain when there's a trauma? Well, yeah. So my work is slightly at an angle from what you work on, but it's relevant. So when people get traumatized, they get stuck in basically the biology of survival. And so they're always on the alert for return of the threat, return of the disaster. They have a very hard time paying attention to anything new. That's probably very relevant to the people you work with and who we're talking to. Very hard to attend to the present because they get stuck in the past. There's something about trauma that keeps people frozen and to ruminate and go over the same old thing over and over again. And the brain circuits of threat and rumination are are altered in order to stay with threat and fear and loss and to really lose your capacity to attend to what's going on right now. It's interesting that I'm hearing this, Mom, because in the, with the bereaved parents that I work with, this is what's happening, what you're talking about, Bessel, because they are often stuck in the trauma narrative and they just keep going over it and over it and over it right. in their heads constantly. Yeah, and that may have to do with not only with the biological phenomena, but the issues of guilt, of not daring to let go of that person. Very much, you see this in traumatized people also, in the opening chapter of my book, is about veterans who don't, who cannot give up the memory of the war because they feel that like they betray their dead friends. Mm-hmm. And going on with your life can be a very serious challenge because you feel in some ways like a trader by having fun and a trader by engaging in things and enjoying life as it is right now. So giving yourself permission to actually enjoy things would become a very important part of therapy. And giving yourself permission to do things that engage your body in an intense way to feel alive right now is very critical to the treatment of traumatic stress. The issue that traumatic stress and grief have in common, I think, is this core issue of as an illness of not being able to be fully alive in the here and now. Mm -hmm. When I read the book, I was interested in that veteran that you did talk to. It was very, very traumatic. And he said, I can't give it up. I'd be disloyal. And it surprised you that he would say that. Yeah. The issue of love rarely gets discussed in traumatic stress. And there, of course, it overlaps with the issue of traumatic grief, is that you have a hard time giving up that love bond and to move your, t- your love to somebody new or people who need you right now. 
And so learning how to love again becomes a very important part of the healing from grief and trauma. Now, I know you talk a little bit about medication. You talk quite a bit about medication in the book, and I know you do use it at times. Um, I had a Compassionate Friends group uh, last week, and a woman uh, had lost a child about six weeks ago, and she said, I just can't cry anymore. And it turned out she's on antidepressants. Could could that stop the crying process? And I'm wondering, isn't crying healing? Well, the, the serotonin reuptake inhibitors do, I talk about it because I did that research, they do calm the brain down, and they do calm down these profound responses. So if you have cried for weeks and weeks in a row, you cannot cry anymore. I think SSRIs can help you to begin to not be hijacked by it every moment of the day and to start paying attention to what's happening right now. So they, they definitely have a role to play. Sadly, among psychiatrists, it has taken the, the place of actually helping people to process the information. And so in our society, you say to kids, don't take drugs. Well, the parents are taking drugs to help themselves to function from day to day. Mm-hmm. And so we have a very mixed up relationship with drugs. Uh, psychiatrists do because they can make so much money prescribing drugs. And, but with it, the whole issue of helping each other to grieve and go on with their lives oftentimes gets obscured. Mm-hmm. Now, could you talk a little bit about EMDR? Because I think that it seems to me that for somebody who's actually well, I'll give you an example. We had a lady in our group who gave her child mouth-to-mouth resuscitation for some time before the ambulance came and had kept reliving that even six years later. Yeah. Well, EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, is a very strange method that is extraordinarily effective in helping people with the imprints of particular events, like witnessing a dead child or witnessing a terrible thing happening or seeing something over and over again. So it's a particularly effective treatment of flashbacks. And in our uh, very serious research study on it, about 80% of people really lost that imprint after about three sessions. They wow. say, yes, it happened. It was very unfortunate, but they can stop being hijacked by the reliving of these experiences. That, that's amazing, the power of EMDR. And I want to say something about that, Vessel. I worked with 9-11 families for 10 years, and I ran groups for firefighters and workshops and groups, and they told me that it, what was helpful was not talk therapy. What was helpful was EMDR, and it wasn't until they got EMDR that they could move forward. That really yeah. helped them a lot. People who were there, so firefighters and other people who were at the World Trade Center, their favorite treatments were yoga, massage, and EMDR. Now, now let's get into yoga. Uh, talk a little bit about yoga. I think you do talk about some brain changes that can happen with yoga, right, over time? So we found that yoga was as effective or more effective than any medications that have been studied up to now. And the reason for that, I think, is that trauma gets relived in the theater of your body. Uh, you feel heartbroken. Your gut is wrenched. You feel this crushing sensation in your chest. You feel that panicky feeling. You feel this horrendous feeling inside of your body that makes it hard for you to attend to things outside of yourself. So it's a very sensory experience being grief-stricken or traumatized. It's, it's, your body just isn't here 
to help you with your life. And so learning how to befriend your body and to feel your body and to know how you feel differently by breathing, by moving, by trying to hold a particularly challenging pose, by becoming flexible in your body, makes you open up to yourself again. You start feeling, oh, this is my body and I can make my body feel safe. And so actually, as we speak, I'm writing another yoga grant because I think yoga is a spectacularly effective way of helping people to come back into the present and to feel the world as it is right now. So, Basil, how often and for how long do you have to do yoga to see the impact? Like, what would you recommend? How many days a week and for how long? Oh, I think you, you need to have a practice. In the same way mm-hmm. that you become when you're a musician, you need to, to practice regularly in order to master an instrument. And so I can't say you need to do it five times a week or three times a week. Um, but you need to do it regularly. You need to devote yourself to the practice. I bet that Tai Chi or Qigong uh, can do the same thing. Nobody has studied that. Um, but it's something that you do. And once you do it, most people continue with it because they feel like it really helps them. And in our study, we found that uh, people did really well after 10 weeks. But when they continued for another 10 weeks, they did much better. And so the longer you do it, the more you feel at home inside of yourself. Sometimes people are afraid to start because they think, well, I'm not in shape or I'm not athletic. You don't need to be because there's a lot of levels of yoga. You can start out at the very lowest level, which is, like you said, just becoming more flexible and, and you know, learning how to right. breathe and then move right. You start up. in the back of the class where nobody can see you fumble around. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I also liked what you said in the book about breath work because I never thought about what happens with the breath. I think you said when you breathe in, you trigger the sympathetic nervous system, and that's the fight-and-flight system. That's the one, you know, that gets us going. And then when you breathe out, it triggers the parasympathetic, and that's what we call the repose and repair. And that's, you know, maybe after you've had a nice meal and you're relaxing in your chair. And you do that with the breath, and and that actually changes the brain chemistry. Is that correct? Am I saying that correctly? Well, you can practice it right now. As you listen to this, you can just put your fingers on, on your sternum or your chest and take a deep breath, a few deep breaths out, about six breaths per minute, and you'll see that it changes how calm you feel. It's the easiest way of, of making yourself calmer, except that you're very panicked. Having to do any sort of thing with your body may freak you out. And then just focusing how your butt sits in a chair may be the first thing to pay attention to yourself. But the, the core issue is this is about your being at war with yourself, that you are frazzled, you're freaked out, and you need to find a way of calming yourself down. And you do that by uh, moving, focusing your breath, focusing on noticing yourself, learning to notice yourself, and learning how um, when you breathe in a particular way or move in a particular way, that your mind actually becomes calmer. So you become your own laboratory of self-regulation. Oh, I like that. And, and Bessel, again, it's, things are happening actually chemically in your brain. Is that correct? Uh, the old paradigm is chemicals. We are more into networks in the brain. Okay, right network. Now, okay. So it's changing the networks in your brain and the way they respond. I like that because I think people need to know that they're not just, uh, you know, that something is actually 
happening uh, physically to them besides, you know, when they get into their body, that it is changing some networks in the brain. Yeah. Well, I just had another, I had a question about you. You mentioned the idea of massage. I just wanted to know why is massage helpful for people that have had trauma? Oh, because you, again, your body is the enemy. Whatever your body feels, see, you're uptight. You know, show me one grief-stricken or traumatized person who is not uptight. And so they're holding themselves. And the longer it lasts, the more they hold them and the more they tense they become and the more uptight they become and learning how to relax your body and to feel the pleasure of touch is very important. Mm-hmm. You know, touch is our most elementary comforting uh, sensation. You know, we learn it in the womb. Only thing we have to start off with is touch. As a baby, you get touched all the time. And then suddenly when you become an adult, in our culture, touch becomes sort of an off-limit thing, more in New York than in California. (laughs) I think this is an important point because many of the people that are listening today have lost children. And the children Mm. have given them a lot of touch. And when you're a bereaved parent, you are... You become touch-deprived oftentimes, which is all the more reason for the idea of of massage. Yeah. Massage and body work, there's there's very good body works like sensory motor therapy and uh, Feldenkrais and cranial sacral. So some schools are more adept at that than others are. It's not sort of a generic massage only, but it's really, again, sort of opening yourself up to yourself and opening yourself up to once again, establish an internal comfort in your body so it's okay to feel what you feel. Wow. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know this is going to help a lot of people, and I would suggest people really need to get your book because there are other interventions he talks about, like writing and theater and, you know, just on and on with the wonderful things that he's doing at their clinic in Boston. And then don't forget neurofeedback. It can actually right. we can rewire people's brain patterns. So you can become more attentive and more focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the neurofeedback. So there's a whole range of options that, um, beyond the traditional drugs and yakking. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I, I know this is going to help a lot of people. People in the Boston area, you've got a trauma clinic there, right? We do, yeah. All right. Trauma Center in, in Brookline, Mass. Yeah. And they can get your book on Amazon. Do you have a website? Uh, in your local bookstore. Support your local bookstore. Right. Right. So get this book, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma with Bessel van der Kolk. And I will say that I read the book, the entire book, and I am very excited about it. It's an amazing book. And thank you so much for all you've done over the years. I mean, this book is a collection of your life and what you've learned as a psychiatrist in all the wonderful work you do in helping people. And and congratulations, that's all I can say. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. And thanks for listening to our show today. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Again, this show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation and the Compassionate Friends. And Heidi and I always like to invite you, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. Mm -hmm.